At Northridge, we have hundreds of business leaders, entrepreneurs, and students right here in our midst. That's why we created the Business Leaders Forum. At BLF, we provide a setting for professionals to network with other like-minded people, grow their business acumen, and to be inspired by those who have first-hand experience in the highs and lows that inevitably come with positions of leadership. Join Brad Powell for the third Business Leaders Forum with special guest, the CEO of Shinola and former president of the Detroit Lions, Tom Luand, as they discuss leading through transitions at high levels of business in this new generation. Don't miss this exciting opportunity happening on Thursday, March 9th from 7 a.m. to 8.30 a.m. at the Plymouth campus. For more information and to register, go to northridgechurch.com slash BLF. Hey, Northridge family. I'm, I'm so glad you came this weekend, and I really believe, knowing a little bit about our teaching pastor this weekend, that you're going to be so glad you came. He's a first-time guest at Northridge. He's the lead pastor at Mariner's Church in Huntington Beach, California, and he's written two books. His latest is on my favorite leadership character in the Bible, Nehemiah. It's called Favor with Kings, and he's going to give a talk on Nehemiah. So I'm excited for you. I'm excited that he's here. Would you give him a warm Northridge welcome? His name is Caleb Anderson. Hello, Northridge. It is great to be with you. So happy that I can be here this weekend. Wanted to say hello to our other campuses at Brighton, Celine, and Gross Hill, and those of you watching online, glad that you are joining us. If you're here and you're new like I am, I want to encourage you to grab this bulletin and take the Connect card, fill this out at any point during the service, drop it off as you're leaving. This church wants to help you get connected here. This is a wonderful church. I'm brand new and here for the first time, but I know it's a wonderful church. Did you know that this church is famous? You guys are famous all the way in Orange County. I have heard great things about you, about what's happening here, about your pastor, Brad. I actually listened in this past Sunday to his final message in the Prodigal series, which was phenomenal. If you missed that message or anything in that series, you should go back online and listen to those. The Prodigal Son story is the best story in the history of storytelling. And I love it. Today, I'm going to be sharing with you my favorite story about, or from the Old Testament, about the guy named Nehemiah. But before we get into that, I wanted to tell you just a little bit more about myself. I'm coming to you from Huntington Beach, California. It's a little bit warmer there. <laughs> I'm not going to talk about how cold it is here because I don't want to reinforce the stereotype that people from Southern California are soft, okay? Okay. Uh, and I'm also well aware that what's going on outside right now is not cold to you. That's balmy, you know, right? Or you're going to go home and play pickup football in your front yard in shorts and T-shirt after, after this service. So I'm not going to talk about that. I'm not going to mention that I'm wearing my wife's Lululemon under here for warmth. <laughs> I am married to Hillary. We've been married eight and a half years. We have two boys, Jack and Henry. We just found out that we're pregnant with number three, so pray for me. I'm nervous about number three because no, two is crazy enough. Uh, my, my house is 
is crazy. And I, I brought you a photo just that you could kind of get a feel. This is Jack and Henry at Halloween. That's Henry on the right, Jack on the left. I snapped that photo right after Henry had licked Jack's lollipop. <laughs> and Jack is losing his mind. Love those boys, love my family. I I'm always asked, because we're from Huntington Beach, if I surf, I don't surf. I used to play volleyball growing up, played a lot of beach volleyball. Now the only sport I play is Lego dodging as I walk through the hallway and the playroom, those of you with young kids know what I'm talking about. Those Legos are for real if you step on them barefoot. <laughs> but I am thrilled to be with you and want to start off our time together by sharing what I believe to be true about you. I believe that you have a mission from God that motivates you and matters to someone else. I'm gonna say it again. You have a mission from God that motivates you and matters to someone else. Even if you are here in church for the first time in your life, or you're back in church for the first time in a very long time, I'm telling you, you have a mission from God that will motivate you and matter to someone else. I wrote the book that Brad mentioned, Favor with Kings, based on this idea. As I read through the story of Nehemiah in the Old Testament part of the Bible, I was just overwhelmed by how relevant it still was to me in my life thousands of years later. The principles, the, the ideas, they were just leaping off the pages or off the iPad and coming to life for me. And so I wrote this book as inspiration for myself, the church that I lead, and then it got published and went broader to help us uncover our mission from God and do something about it. There's, there might be a few copies of the book left in the bookstore here. If not, you can order it on Amazon and it can beat you home. Amazon is crazy like that. <laughs> but today I just wanted to talk about one little idea from this book and from the story of Nehemiah. I don't want you to get hung up on, oh, am I doing my mission from God yet? Am I in my perfect job? Is this my sweet spot? I, don't get stuck there. It becomes more clear as you move through life and as you ask yourself the right questions. Here's the big picture. Jesus said that life is all about, when it comes down to it, all of life is about loving God with all that you are and expressing that love to God by how you love other people. And that he created you unique, that you are made in God's image. You have his divine thumbprint on your soul. There's no one else like you in all the world and has never been anyone else like you. And we need you to be you and give us your unique reflection of God that no one else can. And as you do that more and more and begin to live out your mission, your mission reflects God in a way that no one else can. And your mission, call it your life purpose or, or just projects that you do along the way, they are all under the banner of loving God with my whole life and loving other people 
well. That's the easy part, actually. The easy part is discovering those divine projects and those pathways. The difficult thing is sticking with them and not getting distracted and derailed and pulled off course, which is what I want to talk with you about today. About 10 or 15 years ago, I was invited to the Chesapeake Bay on the East Coast to a retreat center for a retreat for about 25 younger leaders. And there were a couple of guys that were there as mentors, older mentors that were talking to us, speaking to us. And I don't remember anything that they said except for one guy and one statement that he made. His name is Oz Guinness. And he's an author and philosopher. He's also from the famous Guinness beer family. And he, he said a bunch of things and talked multiple times. I only remember one idea. He said that his best friend, he and his best friend will get together at least once a year somewhere in the world. Because Oz lives in Europe and his best friend lives in New York City. So it might be a coffee shop in Seattle. It might be a pub somewhere in England. It might be a restaurant in New York. Uh, but at least once a year they would get together. And when they did, they would catch up. And they would catch up on how the family's doing and how work is and all those kind of things. But before they concluded, they would look each other in the face and they would ask this question. Is the revolution still on? Is the revolution still on? Is all this still worth it? Our lives are difficult, our jobs are tough. Being good family men and still having an impact in the world, it's challenging. All the adversity that we face trying to do good and trying to elevate God and trying to be excellent at our work, it's, it's difficult. Is the revolution still on? Is it still worth it? Does God still win in the end? Does good still triumph over evil? They would ask each other every time they talk, is the revolution still on? That question will frame our conversation for today. We're going to look at Nehemiah starting in chapter 6, verse 1. Before we do, I want to give you a little bit of an overview to the story of Nehemiah in case you're not familiar with it. Nehemiah is a Jewish guy growing up in a Persian empire. So his native land is Judah and his native home city is Jerusalem, but he's never lived there. His family is from there, but he's never lived there. His family has grown up as captives and slaves in this foreign territory called Persia. And Nehemiah has grown up, and somehow he has gotten himself a great job in the Persian palace, working directly for King Artaxerxes, the most powerful man in the known world. And one day, Nehemiah's brother and some friends come to visit him in the Persian palace, and they've come 800 miles from Jerusalem, because 50,000 of them, roughly, have gone back from Persia to Jerusalem to resettle in their homeland. But his brother comes back with the friends and they're disheveled and they're down and out and they come to Nehemiah and they say, Nehemiah, it's bad in our homeland. The wall surrounding our city has been burned down. It's rubble, it's a mess and we are vulnerable. We have no identity. We're vulnerable to attack. We have we have no real strength in our community. We need help. 
And Nehemiah, when he hears that news, his heart breaks. And he thinks, there is something that I need to do about this. And so he goes away, and the scripture says that he prays and he fasts for a period of days. And as he prays and he fasts, the conviction deepens, and he begins to have a plan. And he realizes, I must do something about this sooner than later. And so the king, Artaxerxes, the most powerful man in the world, remember, he notices that Nehemiah is sad, that something's wrong because Nehemiah has worked so faithfully, had no bad days up until this point, and the king can tell something is wrong with Nehemiah. And so he says to Nehemiah, what's the matter? You've never been sad in my presence before. You've been such a faithful, loyal employee. Nehemiah was actually called his cupbearer which is like chief of security, making sure that the king wasn't assassinated. Nehemiah taste tested everything that the king drank, ate everything that the king ate, making sure that he didn't get sick and poisoned, which is a great gig until it's not. You know what I mean? <laughs> but he was trusted by the king. And so the king sees something's wrong. He says, what's wrong? And Nehemiah says, I I'm sad because of what's going on in my home country, my family is hurting, my people are in disarray, they're, they're vulnerable, the wall's been burned down, they have no hope, no direction for the future. I think I need to do something about it. And this king could have cut off his head in that moment and said, you don't even think about leaving me. But he didn't, he looked at Nehemiah and he said, what is it that you want? And the scripture says that Nehemiah prayed to the God of heaven and then answered the king. Because Nehemiah understood that favor comes from the king of kings, but that he gives it through smaller kings. And because Nehemiah had been so faithful and worked with such excellence for all of these years, and because he was prepared when he had his moment with the king, he laid out a list of everything that he needed for this project. He was ready. This, 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 and this, and here's how long it'll take, Mr. King, sir. And the king gave him everything that he asked for. Favor with the king. And so Nehemiah sets out on this adventure with everything that he needs with him. And he goes the 800 miles to Jerusalem and begins this process of rebuilding the wall. And when I say wall, I'm not talking the little red bricks that many homes are built with around here. I'm talking massive stones the size of a sedan. It took a lot of coordination, effort, systems, and thousands of people to pull this off. But they began to rebuild. Nehemiah mobilized all these thousands of people and progress was being made. It was incredible. Read the story. It is an amazing and relevant story. I want to pick it up in chapter 6, verse 1. When word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors in the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages in the plain of Ono. Pause for a second. Here's what you need to remember. When there's progress, when things are happening, when you're on a mission from God, there will always be an Ono. There's momentum. 
People are rallying. Progress is being made. You can see it going up. I think this might happen. I think we really might get there. And then, oh, no, an enemy, an adversary, a sneaky attack, a roadblock, doubts, insecurities, tapes that keep playing in our head that we're not worthy, that this isn't for us, that who do we think we are? Don't forget where you come from. It didn't work before. You've screwed up so many times. You still have this habit. You still, oh no, right at the end, in the gun lap in the fourth quarter, the enemy comes at you. A lot of people think that life and a mission from God should be easy. And if it's really a mission from God, it's paved with rainbows and lollipops. It's not true. There will be resistance. There is an enemy. There is an adversary. And if you are on a mission from God, you can expect difficulty and setbacks. It's part of it. You will have your oh no moments. And you will say what Nehemiah does. But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Would you read that sentence with me? I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it to go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message and each time I gave them the same answer. I am carrying on a great project and I cannot go down. I cannot go down to your level. I'm not going to fall to that distraction or discouragement. I'm not going to let myself get down because I'm on a mission from God. This is too important. This is for the sake of the people. God put me on this path and I'm going to see it through. I'm not going to let you persuade me to back out now. I'm not going to give up my family. It's too important. I'm going to persevere on this path. I'm going to love this person. I'm going to keep volunteering in this ministry. I can't come down. You are on a mission from God that motivates you and matters to someone else. And it's not about you. Even if you're misunderstood, even if you are maligned and manipulated, you can't back down. You're on a great project. It's worth it. I'm going to pause for a minute right here and recognize the fact that there are some things and some projects that we should quit. There are some things perhaps that you're doing, maybe habits, maybe a dead-end job that you knew you should have left a long time ago that you should get out of. And so when people ask me and I talk to folks about how to discern if this is something I should leave and go do something else, how do I know? And I tell them, ask this question. Am I running from something or to something? Am I running from something just because it's difficult and painful and hard? Because you can bet there will be those things. Or am I running to something? Is there a better thing? Is there a mission that God has made clear? Is there something he's been stirring in me, that passion that burns in my heart that I know this is something I need to do something about? 
I need to pursue this. I need to go after this. I feel like maybe this is God whispering to me. He's put all these little signs up, and he keeps steering me in this direction. I need to walk away from this, and I need to go do this because he's calling me to something. Don't run from something because it's hard. Run to something because it's purposeful and because God makes it clear and because you cultivate that conviction until you know you must go. Here are a few other questions to consider as you're wrestling with what's my mission from God? Is this a project that I should do or is this just a distraction? Ask yourself, am I committed to the cause even if I get no credit? It's a heart check. If we do this thing and it works and it's successful and people are served, but someone else gets all the credit, am I going to be okay with it? Was it still worth it? If your answer is yes, you might be on a mission from God. The second question, does the job facilitate the dream? Some of you know good and well that your dream, your mission, the thing that you feel called to do doesn't pay the bills. And you need to have another form of income so that you can do the mission. Oh, and by the way, in this other form of income, you probably have the opportunity to love people well there, too. But you know what it is to have to just work and just do a job so that you can do the dream. Maybe the dream is just raising the kids that you have, especially if you're a single mom. That's the most important and most difficult job that there is. Raising kids just in general and being the most influential person in some child's life, is there anything more important than that? The job can facilitate the dream. And if you get those priorities right, you might be on a mission from God. Next question, does my family believe in the vision or are they becoming resentful? This one's gonna hit close to home for a few of us. The project is always about the people. And your family is in that number. If you're losing your family for the sake of the project, you're missing the point. Last question. Will my pain lead to progress for others? Will my pain lead to progress for others? I can take the heat and I can suffer the difficulty and the challenge if this is going to be beneficial to someone else. If someone else is going to receive the blessing down the road, I will endure, I will persevere. If that's your attitude, you might be on a mission from God. I have two younger brothers, Josh and Aaron. Josh is two years younger than me. Aaron is five years younger than me. We all went to Claremont High School in Claremont, California. And I graduated and went to USC, and my brother Josh was starting his junior year. And in his junior year, he would be the starting quarterback of the Claremont High School football team. He also had earned a free period. Some of you know what I'm talking about. When you're a good student and you do well in your classes, and by your junior and senior year, you have a, a period that's free and flexible. And what most football players did with their free period is they lifted weights or they trained for football or they went somewhere and ate food, you know. <laughs> but what Josh, Josh had a little burning thing in his heart. And he sensed that God was telling him and breaking his heart for a particular group of kids on campus. They were kids with special needs. And so with Josh's 
free period, he decided to volunteer and be a teacher's aide in the special ed classroom. He did that this entire junior year. And some of his teammates made fun of him. And some of his coaches even suggested, why don't you train and lift weights? You could play football in college. Come on. But Josh said, no, this is what I think I'm supposed to do. I have this passion. It's burning. I feel like God has showed me some signs, and I think this is what I'm supposed to do. This is part of my mission from God. And so he did it, and he stuck with it. In fact, you could see on game days, as, as players wore their football uniforms, their jerseys to school, you could see my brother in his football jersey pushing wheelchairs around that campus. And then Josh arranged for one of the school buses to take these students with special needs bound to wheelchairs, all of them, to a football game. And he lined them up in the back of the end zone so that they would have the best seats in the house. And he came out during warm-ups and he gave them all high fives and made their year. He continued to work with that class and with those students in his senior year, building some relationships. One of the girls, a quadriplegic named Adriana, he actually brought to the house and I had dinner. I came back home and had dinner with her at our house several times. Josh went on to play football in a small college in Illinois and he stayed in touch with Adriana or more, she made sure to stay in touch with Josh. And she would call and he would call her back and she called in early May, Josh's freshman year, her senior year at Claremont High School. And when she spoke, I couldn't understand what she said, but Josh could understand most of the words. And he was surprised when Adriana referred to her senior prom. And then he was shocked when Adriana asked him if he would go with her. And then even more shocking to me, as a punk 20-year-old kid at the time, was when Josh said yes. And I came back from USC, and I drove the family's big blue Suburban with Adriana's wheelchair in the back. Adriana sitting in the back seat, Josh in the front seat, and we drove to this ballroom in downtown Long Beach somewhere. And I parked the car on the curb and I sat and watched with tears running down my face. As my brother, my little brother Josh, pushed Adriana's wheelchair into her senior prom. And I saw as the doors opened up and hundreds of students lined up to see last year's starting quarterback pushing Adriana into her senior prom. Adriana doesn't dance, which worked out for Josh because he can't dance either. (laughs) But Josh persevered in that friendship. He saw it through. And today, if you go to Claremont High School, on a Friday during football season, you will still see football players in their jerseys pushing wheelchairs around that campus.
My little brother Josh showed me a glimpse of God's love, God's love for me, because even though I don't have a physical handicap, I feel spiritually handicapped. I have an awareness that I'm broken inside, that there's something wrong with me, that I can't quite get it right, I can't fix myself, there's still stuff that I struggle with, there's still insecurities and anxieties that I face in my life that I wish weren't true about me anymore, but in my worst place, in my worst spot, that's when the God of the universe shows up in the form of a man, Jesus, and dies on a cross for the sins of the world, and says, I got this, I'm with you. I'm for you. I'm reconnecting you to the God who designed you. And then, and then, he puts his arm around me and around you and whispers, and I still have a mission for you. And I'm going to repurpose the brokenness, the pain, the difficulty, the things that you've struggled with, the disasters that have happened, the weaknesses that you had, I can repurpose those for good on this mission that I have for you because it's all about you expressing your love for me and how you love other people. And guess what other people relate to the most? Your weaknesses. You have a mission from God that motivates you and matters to someone else. Back to the story of Nehemiah. His enemies continue and we're constantly trying to knock him off course and to get him off mission so that he would quit and give up. When Sambalat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews. And in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? He just mocks them. Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, what are they building? Even a fox climbing up on it would break down their wall of stones, which is not true, by the way. Foxes are just little guys. And I've already described to you that this wall was massive. Each stone the size of an automobile. But that's what enemies do. They exaggerate, they use hyperbole, and they try to scare you. They try to intimidate you. They say all kinds of ridiculous, irrational things, appealing to that fear voice that you already have in your head saying, quit, give up, this is ridiculous, it's never going to work. They plant seeds of doubt, these voices. They prey on the weak-minded, they try to provoke a reaction, but you can respond the same way that Nehemiah did. Nehemiah prays. He says, hear us, God, for we are despised. Notice, he doesn't even do business with the people, with the guys who are trying to intimidate him. He takes the matter straight to God. In fact, I think that if Nehemiah were coaching you today, he might say something like this. Don't hate the haters, but don't honor them with headspace either. Don't give them real estate in your mind. Because I know some of you are having arguments with people in the shower who aren't in the shower with you. And you're arguing, and you're fighting, and you're giving them zingers, and I wish I would have thought of that when I was with them, and if I get another chance, I'm gonna. 
but you're giving the enemy territory in your mind, you're losing. Say a prayer to God who's in control and who's bigger than all of this, and then keep on going with your mission. Push through. Don't hate the haters, but don't give them headspace either. Take the matter straight to God, because Nehemiah understands something that the Apostle Paul also talked about. He says in Ephesians 6, 12, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. There are invisible forces that are real. It's mysterious. I don't get it fully, but they're there, and they're doing stuff. Fight spiritual battles with spiritual weapons, which means, number one, pray. Pray. Don't fight it out with the person. Pray to God who's bigger than the circumstances. You can't control the enemies. You can't control when they're going to attack. You can't control those things. You can pray to God, and then you can persevere. You can keep on going and then do what Nehemiah does next. Verse eight, they all plotted to come together and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Nehemiah prays to God and then posts a guard, both. Some of us just pray and do nothing practical. Some of us just work and do practical stuff and never think to pray. Nehemiah does both. He does the spiritual thing, he does the practical thing. He prays to God and then he posts a guard. Don't ask God to do what he's waiting on you to do. Don't ask God to do what's right in front of you in your control to do. If you can control it, if you can take the next step, if you can take the territory, he's probably waiting on you to do so. You pray to God about the things you can't control, and then you do what you can do. If you are wrestling with anxiety in your life right now, you pray to God for his help, and then see a counselor. If you have an idea for a new ministry or a new business, pray to God about it, pray for his favor, and write the business plan. And talk to people who have already started things like that. And get mentored and take action. Pray to God and have the hard conversation. Pray to God and do what you can do. Pray and post a guard. Because you can't stop. We need you to persevere. We need you to be you on your unique mission from God. It's worth it. Just a couple of weeks ago, I was in Scottsdale, Arizona, Because my Aunt Joyce and my Uncle Joe and their kids, my cousins, lived there, and my Aunt Joyce had passed away after a five-year-plus battle with dementia. And Aunt Joyce is one of those aunts that you just love to be with. She had a giggle and she had a laugh. She was so much fun. She's also the kind of aunt that you love to get presents from. Some of you have this aunt. Not the aunt who you don't like to get presents from because they still give you Ninja Turtle pajamas even though you're 20. (laughs) The kind of aunt that hooks you up with Nordstrom's gear that's legit and you're like, yes, Aunt Joyce. She was that aunt. 
And she would dress to the nines herself, and she was always put together and had her makeup. And Uncle Joe, he walked with Aunt Joyce through this dementia process. It was painful to watch, and it must have been incredibly painful for him to live out. And I remember when Aunt Joyce could no longer dress herself in her nice clothes, and she could no longer put on her nice makeup, my Uncle Joe took her to Nordstrom, and they sat down at the makeup counter where Aunt Joyce would always go. And he looked at the woman behind the counter and he said, Aunt Joyce can't put on her makeup for herself anymore. I'm gonna need you to, to teach me how to put it on. And so my Uncle Joe dressed her and put on her makeup for the next year until she needed to be put in a home with others that have Alzheimer's or dementia. And even still when she was there, he visited her every day, every day for two years. No more trips to the mountains, no more visits to the cabin, no traveling, two years at his wife's side every day, even at the end when she didn't know he was there. My Uncle Joe gave me an example of what it looks like to finish well, to persevere, to push through the quitting points in life, to see it through, to love God by loving others well and going above and beyond. I'm grateful for that example. The same with Nehemiah, he persevered he saw it through. They rebuilt that wall in an incredible 52 days. Despite constant attacks, despite all the ploys of the enemies, they persevered. Galatians 6, 9 says this, Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give Notice, at the proper time, not in your timetable, not when you think you're good and ready, not when you would have done it, but at the proper time, when the God of the universe who sees the bigger picture and the bigger story and knows all that he's doing through your circumstances and the circumstances that you can't possibly see, when he deems that it's the right time, persevere, see it through. Trust him and the bigger story. It's worth it. I showed you the photograph of my son Jack in his Captain America costume when he was crying about his lollipop. Jack doesn't just dress up on Halloween. He's one of those kids that likes to dress up all the time. And so just not too long ago, I, I'm laying in bed reading. It's, it's 7 in the morning probably, maybe a little bit earlier. We have one of those alarm clocks that some genius invented that when it hits the right hour in the kid's room, the light turns green and the kid knows that he can leave the room. And so I'm grateful to that genius who invented that clock. And so Jack honors the clock system and when the light turns green, he has already dressed himself like Captain America and he shows up at my bedside looking like that. <laughs> I took that photo from my bed, dressed himself, came down, shield ready, and he says, Dad! Get up, 
we got to fight the bad guys. And I go, okay, buddy, let's fight those bad guys. Let's go get them. And we go out of the room, and I can hear his little brother Henry crying upstairs. And I say, Jack, should we get Henry? Maybe there's bad guys up there. And he says, yes. We have to get him out of jail, which is his crib. It's his, it's his crib. I'm like, Great idea, Jack. Let's go get him out of jail. And so we go upstairs, and we open the, I open the door, and I say, Jack, you get the bad guys. I'll go get Henry. He goes, okay. And he goes in with his kicks and his fake sword and punches and everything. He's like, bow, bow, bad guys. And so I grab Henry, and Henry just looking around like, this is fun. And then I said, Jack, did you get them all? He goes, yeah, Dad, I think so. Okay, let's go. So we walk out of the room, and he stops me, and he says, Dad, we did it. We saved the day. And then, without missing a beat right after that, nothing can stop us now. <laughs> Which... <laughs> Which reminded me of some Bible verses. This is from Romans chapter 8. If God is for us, who can be against us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or weakness or danger? Because you'll probably experience some of those things. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, Neither present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The same Jesus who came, put on skin to relate to humanity, and persevered and went the distance dying on the cross, but didn't stay dead, rose from the dead. And puts his arm around you and says, I persevered for you. And I have a plan for you. I have a mission for you. And it's unique to you because you're unique. There's no one else like you. Let me be the voice of Oz Guinness for you today. Imagine that we're sitting across a table at a pub somewhere in Europe. And I ask you, is the revolution still on? Is the revolution still on? Will you persevere? Will you keep on going? Will you push through the quitting points? Will you keep your priorities right? Will you emphasize the main things? Will you fight through the adversity, through the criticism, through the setbacks and the downturns and the difficulties and everything that you feel like is coming against you? Will you persevere? Because the revolution, my friends, is still on. And you have a part to play. You have a mission from God that motivates you and matters to someone else. And we need you to play your part. Will you stand with me as we close? I just want to pray a simple blessing over you. It's been an honor to be with you. After this, we will be dismissed, but please let me pray. May God bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine on you. And may he strengthen you that you would persevere 
in your mission from him. And may he give you favor. In Jesus' name, amen.